Welcome to the Intentional Parents Podcast Season 2. Intentional exists to help parents in their God-given task to raise passionate Jesus followers. We exist to bring hope, help, and healing to families. Each week we will talk about anything from parenting, marriage, lifestyle, and what it looks like to follow Jesus in our time. Intentional is made up of Phil and Diane Comer and Brooke and Elizabeth Moser. I am Brooke, and the funny thing is, we are all family. Elizabeth is Phil and Diane's daughter, so we're a family figuring this thing out together. We hope this podcast feels like you're sitting with us in our home talking about how to do this thing called life together. Elizabeth and I are your hosts. Let's get into this week's podcast. Hey, before we get into this week's episode, we wanted to give you a little context for what you are about to listen to. Intentional has teamed up with Julie Lyles Carr, who is an author of a book called Raising an Original. She's a speaker, and she also has a podcast called The Modern Motherhood Podcast. What we did was decided what if we interviewed each other and then released that on each other's platforms. We're gonna be at an event together in Austin, Texas in January, 2020 called the Intentional Family Conference. And for more uh, info on that, whether that be speakers or tickets, all you need to do is go to intentionalfamilyconference.com. But we're gonna be together and we decided this would be a fun little experiment to interview each other so her listeners can kind of get to know us and you guys can get to know Julie. She's an incredible gift to the world and we're really thankful to know her and to release this episode to you. So we apologize for a little bit of the lower audio quality because this was uh, an interview done over Skype because we live in different cities, but we still wanted to release it to you. We really wanted to get this out to you. So we hope you enjoy today. I'm Julie Lyles Carr and I have two people I'm so excited about. I have Brooke and Elizabeth Mosser on the show today, but I'm also on their show as we've been explaining to you. So Brooke and Elizabeth, thanks so much for being with me and I'm so excited to be with you. Yes, we are too. This is such an exciting day. Yeah, intentional parents. This is Julie Lyles Carr, and this is kind of something we we had cooked up together. And this idea of what if we kind of interviewed each other and released the same episode on each other's uh, podcast platforms. And uh, we're really excited to to get to share with uh, you, intentional parents, all the wisdom that is Julie Lyles Carr. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're really honored to have you on the show as well. So thanks for having us. And we're honored to have you. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's, either, it's a grand experiment. It's either going to be brilliant or it's going to be a brilliant mess. But we're going to see what happens. <laughs> and yes. it's so great to see your faces again after being with you in Portland. And that's where I got to actually meet you guys in person. We'd had some back and forth, but... Elizabeth, I still mm-hmm. think about how fun it was to be at lunch with you and your mom in Portland, and yeah. you're just, oh, you're such a light. You really are. Man, I just remember feeling just an instant connection with you, and just, I remember just pelting you with questions of how it came about that you don't just have a family, you have a big family. You have <laughs> eight kids. That's a lot. That's twice as many as we have, which is amazing. And that wasn't your original plan. Like you didn't set out to have a big family. But not only that, you've gone on to, you wrote a book called Raising an Original, um, all about really learning and even celebrating and understanding the differences in our kids and how they're all so different. So could you tell us, our listeners and yours, um, how did all that kind of come about? Like how did that message kind of unfold? 
It's really fun because I was I was thinking, you know, I don't know that my listeners have heard this story. I mean, maybe if they've read the book, they know it, but I haven't had anybody like interview me on my own show. So this is fun. <laughs> I'm excited to let my listeners know a little bit more of my story. We did not start out thinking we were going to have a big family at all. As a matter of fact, my husband likes to laugh that, you know, what he really intended in his proposal was, hey, will you marry me, travel the world, you know, be entrepreneurial with me, do some really exciting things, never have kids. You know, that was kind of... <laughs> He just, he just really didn't have a desire for that. And I thought, well, you know, I'd love to have one or two. We'll see how it goes. But it'll be way off far in the future. That'll be something like way on down the line. That'll be the 10-year plan. And maybe we go to Greece or we go to Italy or something to celebrate our 10 or 15th year anniversary. And that's maybe I can talk him into a kid by then. Uh-huh. And instead, six, seven months into this brand new marriage, We had, well, the way Michael likes to put it is spontaneity can cause people. And, (laughs) and that is what happened. We, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, not to get too specific, but it was Valentine's day. And, you know, so a few weeks later, I was not feeling well, we were on a ski trip and I wasn't feeling well. And honestly, Brooke and Elizabeth, you could have knocked me over. Like it, it didn't dawn on me. I thought, Hmm, I wonder if I've had a resurgence of mono. I'd had mono in college and well, maybe I'm just not getting enough vitamin B. I had all these other things that possibly it might be. And in the middle of the night had one of those, what day is this? Like, what is going on? We went down to a pharmacy there close to where we were, where we were skiing, and uh, we bought multiple pregnancy tests. I took them all. They all turned positive. Mike took them back to the pharmacist and said, something must be wrong. You've got like a bad lot of pregnancy tests. These are all like something's wrong with these. And the pharmacist just laughed at him and just said, oh, brother, you're going to have a baby. (laughs) So so it was way off page. It was way off our 10-year plan. But, you know, part of what you and I got to talk about, Elizabeth, was that, no, it was never the plan to have a really big family. And it has definitely been a prayerful thing for each of them to move into this space. And I certainly don't think it's something that everybody who loves Jesus is supposed to chase after. I mean, this is in no way some kind of doctrine I'm trying to put on anybody else. But Mike and I had just never really considered praying over family size. It was just, well of course, we're going to pray about jobs and relocations and investments. And should we buy this house or that house? But it kind of just never dawned on us. Oh, you know, I wonder if God might have something to say to us about family. (laughs) So it makes me think of capacity because, you know, there's so many people that have uh, a different capacity or different grace. And, and I know we've, we've similarly prayed over kids and we, we got to four and we're like, I think we reached our, our grace (laughs) capacity. (laughs) And that's not, you know, obviously not to compare, but eight kids. That's, that's not just like, Oh, that's a little couple kids. That's like changing houses and vehicles and uh situation. Like that's a whole thing and just so much respect and uh, appreciation. And you're still healthy and you look well and you look <laughs> rested. I'm still always so surprised at how much energy you have how much you do with eight kids. And aren't you, and you've home, how, how many of you homeschooled or do you homeschool as well? We've homeschooled everybody. Now, oh, when I say God. that, I, I want to make sure that I'm not overselling here. Okay. So if if you have in your mind that there's like this darling beautific schoolroom and there's all this coordination and organization and schedules and uh, it has not been that we we definitely in our schooling experience. My main focus was I wanted my kids to know how to be autodidactic. And what that means is I wanted them to know how to learn for themselves. And with all of the tools and access we have to so much information today. 
I really feel like hopefully we have achieved that. They, you know, I cannot tell you that we got them into college with the most beautiful educations you've ever seen. No. But one thing that they knew how to do when they got there that sometimes was very different than their peers who had been through more traditional schooling is they knew how to go ask the questions, hunt, find, seek. So, you know, for all of the shortfalls that I feel like perhaps they experienced because of my career and the way we were doing homeschooling. And, you know, frankly, sometimes there was homeschooling by Netflix documentaries going on for a while. But, (laughs) you know, hey, it's it's a it's a resource. It's an awesome one. But I do feel like they have come out of our home, those who are launched, knowing how to learn for themselves. And and that I feel However, we got there, stumbling there, God's grace, fatigue cycles, my own personal lack of organization, whatever it was, that mix and blend, customized for each of them. But that mix and blend, I think, has served them well. And tell me about, so because, you know, you said career in there, so you're obviously, you have a lot going on. And a a lot of people, even some of the intentional parents that are going to be listening on, on our podcast right now. Maybe just give us, you know, a, a two minute on on who you are and what you do and kind of the call that God's placed on your life um, so people can have a kind of a better awareness of, of what you're moving through the world getting to do. Well, it's it's been one of those, you know, how sometimes when you talk about career path and, and you have this idea that there's some linear line, you know, that you will accomplish this and it will lead to this and then this will happen. Uh, mine has looked more like a flash mob in a subway. I mean, it's just been like, what are we doing, Lord? And so I started out with degrees in psychology and, and English literature. I really thought I wanted to open my own psych practice. Mike and I got married. And before we got married, there was kind of a really odd little situation where I ended up, I thought a guy was trying to hit on me, but he actually was the manager of a radio uh, station. And he liked my (laughs) speaking voice. He heard me give a presentation like my speaking voice, hired me to go into radio. From there, I went into television. When we found out we were expecting Madison, I did continue to work, but I moved away from news. I went into more voiceover work, some on-camera work, but was doing that part-time. And as each of the kids came and as each of that kind of grew, there were times that those types of things would expand. There were times that they would retract. I, for many years, was always doing some kind of teaching in Bible, some kind of ministry. And really for me, once, and I also did real estate photography, and I had a photography business for a while where I did portraiture and Long story short, about the last 10 years, the Lord's really had me on a path where I'm doing a lot of speaking, writing. I'm still doing some voiceover and audio work. Podcasting has been one of the newer things to come to the table. So I'm living primarily now, and I love it. I really feel like this is my lane. I'm living primarily now in writing, speaking, and podcasting, but I am also on staff full-time at my church as the pastor for women's ministries there. So that is thankfully for quite a while has dovetailed well. And so that's kind of where I'm at in all of its messiness. And I want my listeners to hear about the two of you, what the two of you do and how our paths intersected at the Intentional Family Conference and and the things that you guys are doing up in Oregon. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, first, let me, I just have to say, I love that as I'm hearing you explain kind of how this process of family and career has unfolded for you, that to me, the, the thing that comes to mind is that there's been a flexible intentionality behind it, that you've been intentional about what you're doing. You had a purpose behind uh, praying about having a bigger family. You had a purpose behind um, maybe homeschooling them and what you wanted to, why you wanted to do that. 
but yet you've had this flexibility of that's not going to look exactly this like linear way that maybe you thought it was going to. Mm. And I think that that probably resonates with anybody listening of, I think in our minds, we want this like clear cut. This is our plan. This is our five-year plan, 10-year plan. This is our family plan. This is how it's all going to work out. But the, the older you get, the more you see life does not work that way. <laughs> it doesn't get the message that we have this perfect plan. But I just love that you've been able to have intentionality while also just letting the story of your life and your family unfold. It's just a huge encouragement to me who loves the linear plan and whose life has not been that linear plan. Has not been that. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the intentional side, uh, we get to help lead something called intentional parents, which is we actually lead with Elizabeth's mom and dad, yeah. uh, Phil and Diane Comer. And, um, you know, that wasn't a part of our plan at all as far as, you know, kind of, uh, teaming up with them to lead this nonprofit to help raise passionate Jesus followers all over the world and to do that through podcasts and books and conferences and <clears throat> any medium, you know, you can really get your hands on. And, uh, you know, for us, it was about a year ago that Phil and Diane had come and said, Hey, what do you guys think about joining the team? We see that you guys are intentional parents, which was an honor for them to say, cause they're incredible people and parents. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously there are Elizabeth's parents. So she has a lot of that hardwired into her, but you know, as far as us, we really, um, learned so much from the way that they had intentionally raised their kids. And, um, and they had so much biblically based ways of, of just applying the biblical principles to life in such a really clear, helpful way. And we found that the more we applied it, we saw our kids come alive. We're like, these little humans are actually becoming really great people. And it's just, you know, taking these biblical principles and applying them and doing it in a strategic way. And so uh, we had prayed about it. And our first answer was like, no, we're not going to do that. I was in the process of getting ready to plant a church. <clears throat> the two cities we were praying through were Seattle and New York, which both at this point of time of life sound like death as far as the busyness, <laughs> the busyness and the pace. Um, and so God just kind of changed our whole trajectory and kind of gave us a heart, not only a heart, but a passion for this. And so we joined the team and started, um, helping with this ministry, which has been really exciting. And, uh, we, it's led to a lot of stuff, which is one of the things is the Austin conference, which we'll talk about soon, but, um, maybe Elizabeth, do you want to give kind of a heads up on our family dynamic? And, you know, it's not just you and me, obviously we have some yeah. kids and right. Yeah, right. I, mean, I, I think some of the um, the change in our thinking of even being open to make a career change, so to speak. Brooke has always been in full-time pastoral ministry, and he is still part-time, a part-time pastor at a church, but also doing this nonprofit thing. Yeah. But a couple of years prior to that, you know, we were, like Brooke said, planning on planting a church, but we have four kids. We had three at the time, and our daughter had kind of a tragic illness, which kind of changed the whole trajectory of where we thought we were going and reshaped mm -hmm. kind of what our capacity is as a family, as a whole, Yeah, which um, I think led us into just being open to think about what else God might have for us that might be different than what we had originally thought. So um, we have four kids. We have Duke is 10, yeah. Scarlett's seven, Birdie is three and a half, and then we have an 18-month-old Sloan. So we're kind of right in the thick of it <laughs> in yeah, the day. Are. In the very thick of um, it. <laughs> Yeah. So does that answer that? Yeah. Question? Yeah. And, and I think one of the things, one of the things that drew us to you, Julie, you know, your book raising an original, yeah. that title just in itself has so much power and all intentional family people that will have a link in our show notes. So make sure to click on that and buy that book or whichever it's audio. You have an audio book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, audio book, Mary, queen. Yeah. I've got it. 
hey, of course you have an audio book. I didn't want to say it. Like, no, I don't have that. Uh, but yeah, there's an audio book, whatever your choice is. But yeah, even that title was really helpful for us because um, each kid is so different. And yeah. when Birdie um, emerged into the world, the full of joy person that she is, and, and when you were in Portland for the um, intentional family conference that we did there, uh, you were speaking there. And I remember just the amazing connection you had with Bird, uh, oh, specifically because, yeah, because she had this, you know, you, you not only have eight kids, so you know how to, <laughs> that's your space, <laughs> like, you know, but Birdie also just had this like sweet um, draw to you. But that was something that was really a big deal for us um, because with Birdie, that there was some some similarities and so our journeys kind of our paths kind of um had some similarities and we wanted to talk about that which i know you girls were able to connect over lunch about maybe give mm-hmm. us some heads up on that right yeah right. i just like pelting you with questions about just having what what do you call it kids who are differently abled which right. that so resonated with me because that's just such a I don't know, a powerful and positive way to say special needs, you know, because obviously that's just kind of a junk drawer term that a lot of us have different connotations to. But um, I just loved hearing how you've um, celebrated your kids' differences, all of their differences. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear from you. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Birdie's story, but how did that message come about for you? You know, I think it really is that place that, wow, I mean, when you're given this many. Okay. And and I mean, I think we can sense it whether we have a bunch or not. But I think for me, I was really hoping there was going to be some system that I could sort of plug everybody into and I could chart it out. And if I did these things, then these would always be the outcomes. And Mm -hmm. my kids blew that out of the water so fast. I mean, this perspective really showed up early simply because the big personalities that God put in my house kind of insisted upon it. (laughs) It was just this moment of going, all right, you know, this is just, why am I trying to systematize when clearly they're all so different? The funny thing to me, Elizabeth, is having a degree in psych, I mean, having an an emphasis in child psych, I already knew this, but what is it in our parenting? I, I think it's that we feel so vulnerable in our parenting that if there's a way that we feel like we can guarantee outcomes, we're willing to grab onto that in ways that maybe in other places in our lives, we would be more fluid. But I think because we feel so vulnerable, we feel like people are really watching. And then for us being in ministry, the reality is people are watching. People are, you know, whether they mean to or not, whether it's coming from a sweet spirit or not, they are evaluating us based on on how our kids are, quote unquote, air quotes, turning out. And so I do think that I needed to give myself the permission to say, you know what, these kids are all different. And one of the best things I can do, I think one of the deep felt needs of the human heart is to be seen and known and loved for exactly who you are, not with the expectations, not with the agenda that we often bring to parenting. Now, does that mean that we just throw the baby out with the bathwater and there's no, there's no reasonable boundaries around those kids? No, of course not. But that's part of what I love is in the message of grace, if you will think of it if you will, like a field of lace, right? This beautiful thing that we're given, the grace field. Still, what is powerful is there is an edge to that lace that creates a safety. But then there's all this room within that field for play of individuality and design and artistry. So really, for me, it came about listening, first of all, and realizing I had these kids in my house that were so different, Mm -hmm. getting clear on the fact that I value being seen as someone unique, 
I have anticipated and wanted and looked for my whole life people who would go, man, I really like you, not who I think you're supposed to be, not who my agenda is, not what front of my need from you. I just like you. And those are the people I've always appreciated. Well, why would I not extend that to my children? And then as that began to filter out, I began to realize, man, that is what God is for each of us. When I look at the stories in the Bible and the way that he has been so intentional and specific with each of his kids, Mm. I began to realize, you know, I think this is really the art of godly parenting is to honor and respect and, uh, and really help launch the individuality in each of our kids, not in a precious snowflake, you get to get away with whatever and disregard the feelings of others. I'm just talking about that best place in what God has developed in us. So, so honestly, in many ways, it really came about this approach simply because I had kids who were, you know, square pegs who would not be shoved into round holes. And (laughs) so, and, you know, over a period of time, you start to figure it out like, huh, Okay. (laughs) I love what you're saying about honoring who they are because yeah, it's like that unfolding process. You get to know your kids and you don't, you know, you have principles that you follow in in parenting, but that doesn't work for all your kids. Mm -hmm. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't always bring the best out of them. It can crush them in a way that you're not meaning to. And I know we've seen that in our own life, but also um, in our own parenting, just see the differences of our kids and their needs and even how you um, structure discipline and how you structure order and all that stuff is just very different. And so it's been an incredibly helpful tool. Your book's been incredibly helpful to just a a really practical way to honor that and to um, have those kids that are differently gifted, which I, which I really like. I love that. It just makes me think too of even just, you know, that scripture about all of us playing different parts in the body of Christ. We're all different body parts, you know? Right. And yet, how often do we want each other to all be the same, you know, mm-hmm. and view each other's differences as wrong and how much damage, how many, how many mother and father wounds are all of us walking around with because maybe our parents didn't get this message that we're all supposed to be different and yeah. that's going to mean we have to alter our parenting. And I think, I think this generation is doing a better job of that, of, I agree. of yeah. saying like, you know, what does each individual need to thrive and all those things. But I think we're always going to have that natural bent to want everyone to be just like us and <laughs> follow in suit. And I think there are, you know, you're always going to have one or two kids that maybe are more like you and the others that you're going to have to work really hard to understand. Yeah. And I think we have to do that work to right. really understand them. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where I love the collision of all of us in terms of what we're doing, because, you know, yes, it is about raising an originals and it's about being intentional to do that which is what your ministry does so beautifully to really make people mindful about their parenting, because sometimes we just land in it and we're scrambling so fast and just trying to cover all the bases that that's why I think we're drawn sometimes to just trying to systematize or just try because we are overwhelmed. But I think that message of being intentional and how we approach is so, so powerful. And I want my listeners to go back onto your podcast, the intentional parents podcast and listen to season two, and episode two, because that is where you guys talk about what happened with your daughter, Birdie. And we can give a quick snapshot that she began to have infantile seizures. And how old was she, Elizabeth, when that started happening? 
too, six months. Six months. And so I want my listeners to go back and listen to that. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, I also want my listeners to go back and listen to episode 10, because that's where I um, get to interview on the Modern Motherhood podcast, Phil and Diane, Elizabeth's parents, and your co-partners in this ministry. It's a great interview. They're way smarter than us. (laughs) (laughs) I would love for my listeners to hear it. But I would love to hear from the two of you. When Birdie went into this place of having these challenges, you you went from sort of not that everything was beautific and perfect before she went through this experience, but more of a typical parenting. Let's just try to, you know, batten down the hatches, keep people reasonably clean and fed. And then yeah. all of a sudden you have this really hard left turn. And I know that for you, there were times that the relationships you had with other people as you were walking through these very traumatic events with Birdie began to shift and change. And and I do think one of the topics that comes up again and again when I'm out with young families, when I'm with moms who are in the thick of it, it is this situation of friendships. You know, how do we maintain healthy community and people around us, particularly when things go sideways? So what was that like for y'all as you began to walk through Birdie continuing to have these seizures, the prognosis being so crazy, the the day-to-day just blown wide open. Yeah. How did those relationships play out? Well, I'd say it was it was very eye-opening to me, um, in specifically in the area of relationships. You know, I just remember um we so she was diagnosed and then we went through this three month really intense treatment that we wasn't we weren't sure she was even gonna make it through. And then we had this like six months period of she was in total quarantine. She couldn't leave the house unless she was just going to the doctor if it was like totally necessary and nobody could come in the house because she had no immune system. So um, if she were to catch anything, it would have been disastrous for her. Mm-hmm. So there was this kind of like six months period where there there were very few relationships because we just had to hunker down and yeah. um, it was really just our family. And um, my parents lived really close at the time and Brooke's parents as well. So we saw them a little bit, but other than that, I mean, friendships were really kind of put on hold. They were, um, really just text messages was about as far as it went. But I remember feeling when I call it kind of our re-entry back into the world or life, so to speak, when we were, were kind of coming out into her being able to be outside again, really. Um, and I remember re-entering kind of those relationships, seeing people at church or, um, going to community group or whatever, and feeling like I am not the same person I was six months ago. I've had this massive traumatic life experience and my life is not the same. It's not like she had this thing happen and now everything's back to normal. Her future was still and is still very unknown. And my rhythm was totally different. And I remember feeling um, lonely really would Mm -hmm. be the best way to describe it. And I was unsure of how do I reenter these friendships and relationships with wonderful, kind-hearted, well-meaning people who don't know how to respond to to what's happened and who I am now. And I don't know how to help them know how to respond. Mm -hmm. So it was a process for sure of lots of learning, maybe ways that I've interacted with people who've been hurting and grieving in ways that I thought were helpful that actually weren't. Um, So eye-opening to me in that and and eye-opening to me in realizing that I think because um, grief is not something we do well as a culture, as a whole, even in the church. That was really eye-opening to me. Those of us who have gone through intense grief and suffering 
I would say almost have a responsibility to help teach people how yeah. to how to walk with people who are suffering and not yeah. just suffering for a moment, but like the long haul of suffering. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many things there, but yeah. one of the things that comes to my mind as you're saying that is, you know, it, um, you know, people often ask how, how how's Birdie doing and she's doing good, right? They, they unintentionally lead with she's fine. And you start to realize that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's really hard. And I totally sympathize and empathize with this, that, it's really hard to sit with people in pain for a long period of time, especially when it's yeah. not a hopeful prognosis. And yeah. so we totally get it. And we've been victim of the thing that I think so many people do intentionally. But one thing somebody gave us, uh, it's just a really incredible piece of advice a long time ago. And this has really changed a lot of how we move in in the world. And I think it was like Elizabeth said, we, we have almost a responsibility to help people go, hey, the most helpful thing to those that you know that are suffering is not just a meal train, although that's so great. So it's really yeah. like the year after and the two years after and the three years after, it's, it's staying present, it's huge. But someone gave us this piece of advice because a lot of people really in, uh, thoughtfully come to you and say, you know, let us know what you need. I can't tell you how many texts and people came up so good hearted, you know, like, hey, just let us know what you need. Um, we're here for you, whatever you need, just let us know. Well, if you've been in any kind of suffering or tragic moment, you know that you have no extra capacity for anything. Just really, it's usually what you have in front of you. And if, if you think, or we think that we're gonna have enough energy to think about our need <clears throat> strategically, and then reach out to you to get let you know that need and actually feel the comfort to ask something big, I mean, that happens so rarely. That that's, doesn't usually happen. And so this person gave us advice um, and basically just said, when you when somebody's suffering in a big way, um, ask a lot of really thoughtful, good questions. Ask questions about what their needs are, what 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 you're seeing, you know, what are the strengths of their life right now, where are the weaknesses, where are the struggles at, and then as you're talking, begin to formulate and see maybe where the needs are. And and this person has said, and the idea there is basically what you do to what at the end of that conversation with the person you essentially just say hey you know for example i see that you're struggling financially you know um obviously it seems like these medical bills are overwhelming would you be okay with me starting a gofundme for you uh, would you be okay if i pull a group of people and and prioritize giving to this situation or hey i see that you're having needs with your kids can we set up um some babysitters that you approve because we're seeing that this is an, an extra need and it's almost seeing the need and asking them permission but don't put it on them to decide don't put it on them to reach out and it was just this simple but beautiful way of like really serving somebody where they're at. And I know for us, that's not only changed when people have done that to us, but I know for us now, we often don't say, hey, let us know how we can help. We just ask a lot of questions and then say, hey, can we do this for you? Because we see that this is a need. And um, it's amazing how that's been a really helpful tool. Yeah, I think that is so powerful. And, you know, and honestly, it feeds into this idea of we're all originals. I think sometimes yeah. we try to respond to someone's hurt out of what we think would be comforting. Totally. And we can unintentionally miss the mark or burden them more. I mean, someone who's a little more, I need some space, I need to breathe. And for some reason, we feel like we need to send everybody over to their house, you know, like, no, no, to yeah. really honor and respect what somebody communicates to you about what their need is. I think that is absolutely brilliant and such powerful relational intelligence. I, I thank you so much for that. Where do you feel like now that you're living in this new normal, mm -hmm. how do you carry out the parenting to your 
other kids also as you walk through this new normal? Because I know for us, you know, when we were in the thick of it, I mean, we've kind of somewhat come out the other side, but when we were in the thick of it with therapies for our daughter who has significant hearing loss, for our daughter who had a stroke at birth, sometimes those other kids, I mean, everything seemed to be geared around the therapy schedule and doing all the things you're supposed to do at home and the finances involved. I mean, these, these kids who are differently able, they're an expensive little, little boutique (laughs) item. And so how did you, how are you now facilitating parenting intentionally in this new season with all of its unique challenges and schedules and all the things? Yeah, well, even even right after this interview, <laughs> scooting over as quick as we can to therapy. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's such a part of it. And then tonight at five o'clock, she has yeah, another one. Yeah, another she has two therapy. Today. You know, so it's a big part of our life for sure. It is, but you know, I think that a couple of things, and we're learning as we're going. You know, yeah. we're only three years into this, so we're still learning, and I think it's going to always be changing. But uh, we talk about it a lot mm-hmm. because we want to make sure that with our older two who have walked through all of this. They remember life before and life after. And so we try to have it always be an open conversation, lots of check-ins with them. How are you doing with all of this? Just to make sure that if there's something that they're having trouble processing, we're creating space for that. Um, But then we also talk a lot about being a family team. You know, I think that language came to us from Jefferson Bethke, who was at the conference in Portland. He's going to be at the conference in Austin. But his whole kind of message is, that a family is a team and that we all need each other as the essential part of the team. And so lots of conversations about we're a team and Birdie is one of our team members and she needs some extra stuff. And so to support her, to make our our whole team work, we all go Mm -hmm. and we help support her. And so that means you have to go to therapy with us and all for our team member Birdie. And when you need things, we're all going to help you. Birdie's going to help you. Um, so lots of conversations around that. And our kids have been really, they're not even into sports, but they totally get that um, kind of analogy. Yeah. And they've responded really well to yeah. that. And it doesn't mean it's perfect. I mean, our son, this particular therapy we're going to is his least favorite. And so he's like mm-hmm. super annoyed and bummed about it today. My <laughs> first thought is to correct him. Like, you need to have a good attitude about it. But even just taking a minute and saying, I know it's hard, buddy. I know that this is not what you would want to do today, but I really appreciate how much you love and care for your sister, Mm. you know, stuff like that. And I think um, we've also tried because we have kind of an age gap between our older two and then the two younger of just being mindful of we try to, to do things together as a family as much as we can, but also just recognizing that sometimes our older two need some need to do some stuff that doesn't involve there people, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, we're well. They don't know this, but they don't listen to the podcast, so, it's okay. so we're, we're fair. Yeah, we're so okay. Good. But like yeah. in early December, we're we're gonna surprise the older two. We're gonna go to Disneyland for a couple of days because the younger two would be impossible to take. But we, you know, they don't know we're gonna wake them up and surprise them. So if you're listening, yeah. don't tell them. Um, <laughs> that's after December. But uh, but another thing that Elizabeth said, which I think was really helpful, and I know something that we've been, you know, as far as. Uh, just those check-ins the other day I had one of those check-ins which you you know you, you check in you're like everything's gonna be fine well I check in with Scarlett our seven-year-old and said you know honey you seem like you've been a little distant lately you know are you upset with dad have, have I like dishonored you or have I been too intense with you or anything like that and she was just really soft and she said I just 
Yeah, I feel distant. I feel like you, you've been giving a lot of attention to the other kids and not as much to me. And I was like, <laughs> dagger in the heart. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm such a failure. And then it, at the same time, I was recognizing like, wow, the fact that she can articulate that, that we do this enough that she can say that. It was like, okay, like, what well, you know, let's tonight, let's have a little time together. You and me, just you and me. What do you want to do tonight? And and just realizing those little moments um, of checking in can go a really long way. Yeah. And they can solve a lot of future hurt. You know, right. I think um, right. it's, we, 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 at this point, I, I don't think we're saving for college for our kids. We're just saving for therapy. <laughs> That's what I always say. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You said that. I've heard you say that before too. Yeah, we're always like, yeah, we're going to be paying for therapy, not college. Cause mm-hmm. I think we're just messing up that bad. But, uh, <laughs> but I do think that actually does help heal those little wounds that can um, accumulate over time with maybe something like birdie and the distraction and, and the focus needing to be her sometimes. Uh, just those check-ins go a long way. I think that's amazing. And, you know, too, I think one thing that we have had to learn, I think it's been important for us to have our kids alongside us, the things that we are doing, the work we're doing, the things we enjoy. But I've also had to readjust and make sure that I'm also fully engaging in what's important to them. So that I love that you said that you had this time with Scarlett where she sort of got to take the wheel and show you what was going to mean a lot to her in that time that you set aside for her. I think that's really, really powerful. Well, I'm so excited because we all get to be together again in January. (laughs) You guys are coming to Austin for the Intentional Family Conference here in Austin on January 24th and 25th, which we're going to be hosting at my home church of Life Austin. So I just can't wait to get y'all here on the ground. So tell my listeners and your listeners what we're going to be doing at that conference, why they need to be there, why we're excited to see them. Yes. Well, Julie Lyle's car is going to be there. (laughs) Reason enough. enough, You just need to be. Uh, No. So yeah, we we, uh, are going to be doing it. This is our second family conference and the family conferences are just basically a moment uh, to pause in your week and to stop and to go to a split a, a space, excuse me, of of people and getting a curated list of people that are experts on the family. And so we've got uh, Emerson Egrich, who of love and respect, who many of you know, uh, who's going to come out and just share on marriage. And we have uh, John Tyson, who's uh, leads a church in New York called Church of the City, and he just came out with this thing called Primal Path for fathers so and sons. It's so, so rich. Just like be there for that. Julie, you're going to be there talking about raising the original and anything that you want because anything you say is great. Um, <laughs> Jefferson Bethany's going to be there. Phil and Diane will be there. We'll be there. There's going to be a, a bunch of other people. So um, yeah, it's going to be an amazing event. It's a two-day event. Intentionalfamilyconference.com is where you can check out uh, tickets and such. But it's going to be an incredible event. You do yeah. not want to miss it. It's going to be real helpful. And you know, one of the questions I've had, and I want all of our listeners to know, people have asked me, well, you know, what age kids am I supposed to have to be at this conference? And what I love that y'all have built is it truly is intended for whether you are still single and then thinking about and dreaming about the family you want to build all the way up to grandparents. We had so many grandparents at the Portland conference who were saying, you know, I didn't really have a chance to be grandparented. I want to make sure I'm grandparenting well. Or they are heavily involved in their grandchildren's lives, some of them even raising their grandkids. It was really beautiful to see the scope of people understanding that, you know, family is not just about that season when you have little babies at home. Family is so, it just goes for decades and what we invest in it and build in it continues to ripple and echo. And so that's part of what I just know what you've all put together. Yes, the multi-generational experience But I think this has been a really fun experience to get to do this thing. um, Julie, thank you for being on our show today. We have so loved having you and are honored to have you on the show. So thank you for your wisdom and your brilliance and all that you bring to the world. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If this podcast has blessed you in any way, here's a few ways that you can partner with us in this ministry. First is to give. Intentional Parents is a nonprofit and we rely on the generous giving of our partners. So please head over to our website, intentionalparents.org slash give if you would like to become one of our partners through giving. Second is to share it. If this has at all been helpful to you, we encourage you to share it with your friends, your family, and those that you know would be blessed by it. Third is to follow us on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us on Instagram at intentional underscore parents. And lastly, if you would head over to iTunes, if you enjoyed today's episode and leave a review on iTunes, this helps us bring more hope, help, and healing for families.